Hi, welcome to Transformative Leadership Conversations with Winnie Da Silva. Today's episode will close out season one, but don't worry, Transformative Leadership Conversations will be back in April with season two. So before we jump into this episode, I want to take just one minute to sincerely thank every single person who has listened to this podcast. Many of you are colleagues, friends, and family, but there are also many of you who have listened based on a recommendation from your colleagues, friends, or family. And I am especially grateful to those of you who have taken the time and energy to give me specific and actionable feedback. You know who you are. And for those of you who have feedback but haven't shared it with me yet, please, I most sincerely want to hear from you. And I'll add just one more thing. Whether you've listened to one episode or you've listened to all of them, could you leave a review on Apple Podcasts? It will only take a minute to pick a rating and write a sentence or two, and it will make a real difference in attracting new listeners. Thank you so much. And speaking of asking for feedback, that's what we are going to talk about today. Now, if you listened to last week's episode, you'll have noticed that episode was a little bit different. Since launching this podcast, we've listened to leaders share stories of their leadership challenges, how they've overcome them, and what drives them forward during times of change and adversity. As I close out season one, I wanted to take a look back and go a bit deeper on two important leadership themes that emerged from my previous guests, the stories we tell ourselves, and asking for feedback. During last week's episode, Peter Axelson and I talked about the stories we tell ourselves and how these stories impact our behavior and our results, which can either propel us forward or get in the way of our success. In today's episode, we're going to continue that conversation with Peter and talk about asking for feedback, the foundational tool for uncovering our blind spots, whether we are just starting out managing one person but especially as we advance in our career, the feedback we receive usually declines just when we need it most. Peter Axelson, my longtime friend, colleague, and mentor, who has worked as an external consultant in training, coaching, and organizational development for more than 35 years, provides invaluable expertise and insight on both of these topics. Before we dive into my conversation with Peter, Let's look back on a few episodes where my guests highlighted the importance of asking for feedback during their own leadership journey. First, Kevin Halloran, an EVP and CFO at Donahue Shriver, shares how the quality of feedback he receives is significantly better when he's not defensive. I never realized how defensive I was. And from there on out, I can't say I do it every time, but it's certainly something I'd focused on. I've got to be willing to hear it and not react. I got to take what they say and I got to digest it. And if I do that, I've taken the time to reflect. I've realized there's really truth to this. There's something I've got to think about versus just giving them that gut reaction. If I'm defensive all the time and I don't let people give me feedback, they don't want to give it to me. They're saying, oh yeah, everything's fine. How does that help me grow if I'm not getting the feedback? Kelly Jankowski, a managing director at MSL, explains what happens when you're open to getting feedback. When you're open to feedback, people give you really good feedback. And there's a lot of different ways to be open. There's something to learn everywhere. And especially as you get more senior and more established, I wake up some days and I'm like, today I'm going to figure out what I needed to learn that I haven't yet. Marcel Botha, the founder and CEO of 10X Beta, 
touches on the importance of receiving feedback in a meaningful and timely way. They don't speak to investors that they don't like, whose feedback they don't like. They will only want to speak to the people who understand their visionary message. And I think with the exception of a few, most people fail if they can't quantify or receive feedback in a meaningful way. I have failed many times because I didn't listen to feedback in a timely manner, or I was too excited about something that I thought was meaningful, but others didn't. And lastly, Elliot Felix, the CEO and founder of Brightspot, which has just been acquired by Burrow Happold, highlights the benefits of a feedback culture when you're working with clients. When we have a question, we don't stew over it internally. Like we get on the phone with a client and we figure it mm -hmm. out with them. That's what has given us more certainty in this crazy time is acting on that instinct. So we've been talking to our clients more, not less, and yeah. learning from them and trying stuff out and getting feedback. And this is helpful. This isn't helpful. Let's do more of this, less of this. Based on these insights and experiences, let's return now to my conversation with Peter on asking for feedback. Feedback, I know, is near and dear to your heart. And because of you, it's now near and dear to my heart. And you have some really great content uh, and have developed some really great frameworks around both how to ask for feedback as well as how to give feedback. They mirror each other a little bit, but there are some important differences there. In working with you, Peter, feedback has really become something that I believe is really foundational to leaders and especially as they grow up in their career, I think the opportunities to receive feedback from people around you begin to decline and diminish because you're more senior and it's more intimidating. You just go on your way getting a bunch of stuff done. And even as we grow in our careers, we still have blind spots. And in fact, those blind spots change as we evolve in our career. Although hopefully earlier in our career, we've gotten better at some of those fundamental blind spots we had earlier in our career. But that doesn't mean we don't have any as we move forward. So talking about this with you, the father of feedback, would be really helpful and fun to talk about. We could talk a lot about feedback because there's a lot there. But maybe what we should do is focus on how to ask for feedback, because I think that's a little bit less common for people. I agree with the point that you just made about blind spots, because as we become more senior, the amount of feedback that we get tends to go down, not just the amount, but the quality and the number of people from whom we get it. The other thing is we become more senior and take on new roles. The nature of our blind spots change because we're being confronted with new challenges and we're finding new ways as leaders to respond to those challenges. That's right. And maybe with more responsibility, blind spots emerge because you've got more that you're juggling. Yeah. As you become more senior, you're doing things you've never done before. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. If you're continuing to be promoted or continuing to take on new challenges, those are still new. So let's take a step back. When we say the word feedback, what exactly do we mean? What are we talking about here? The definition of feedback, it's an exchange of information between two people. And I'm assuming that we're not talking about the formal performance review process, but we're talking about a conversation between two individuals. It's an exchange of information between two people, the intent of which is one of two things, either help an individual on lots of different levels and or help the relationship. Oftentimes people think about feedback as simply being a tool for helping performance and things like this, but very often 
the result of a feedback conversation and it is more trust and more respect in a relationship. When you think of people succeeding at work, you think of tasks and getting things done. But a lot of the focus we've had in our conversation is about relationships. I think that's a really important point. If you don't have a good working relationship with the person you're working with, there's going to be breakdowns in performance. No doubt. I, I think your point is right on the money, Winnie, that the importance of relationships is really critical. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how technically skilled you are. If you don't have good EQ and have the ability to develop and maintain good trusting, respectful, collaborative relationships, that's going to limit your success for sure. That's right. That was helpful in terms of understanding feedback. Could we talk a little bit about what should you do first? How do you start to do this? If you haven't created a habit or a process for getting feedback from people, where do you start? Oh, that's a great question. I started working with clients a long time ago. That's one of the things that I was confronted with. We can suggest to them that asking for feedback would be good for them, but how do you convince them? The question I like to ask them, if you were to develop a, a robust personal habit of asking the people around you for feedback on a regular basis, what would be the benefits? It might be board members. It could be clients and customers. It could be folks on your team, folks a couple levels down. What would be the benefits of developing a habit of asking the folks around you for feedback on a regular basis? basis. Okay. I stopped there for a second because I, I want to point out that I skipped a step, which is a really important step because you can't talk about process and habits until they are really convinced this is something they should do, especially if it's a senior leader and they don't have a lot of time. I think you went right to what's important, which is helping them formulate in their mind. Why are they doing this? What are going to be the benefits, not just to them personally, but to their business, to business results, to the other person? If you think about a situation where we have a, a leader or a team or an organizational culture where feedback is really not in the DNA, a senior person might say, like, why on earth would I want to subject myself to that? When we think about feedback, we don't think about good things. Most of us think about something being more painful than a root canal, something to be avoided. So my starting point is, why might you consider even thinking about this? This is the why bother question. Then we'll spend sometimes 30 minutes just talking about their answers to that question. And the kinds of things that come up are these. I'm going to be more self-aware. I'm going to know when I'm getting myself in trouble with people. Okay. I'm going to understand where my strengths are so that I can leverage those things. I'm going to be able to identify problem areas in relationships and my performance quickly so that I can self-correct. People are going to trust me more, I think. People respect me more. I'm reaching out to the folks around me in the organization and asking them for feedback can serve as a good and powerful role model for others. Because people are going to say, wait a minute, there's a senior person asking for feedback. Geez, maybe I should be doing that. So it sets a really great example. People look up for their messages about how to behave in organizations. There are business benefits to those things. It's hard to quantify, but qualitatively, better collaboration, trust, respect, those are going to lead to good outcomes. Very often, feedback gets put in the optional bucket. It gets put in the category of, if I get all my other important work done, maybe I'll have some time to do that. When you help a senior person articulate and write down their view of the benefits, that's a pretty compelling case. What's compelling about it is they're coming up with that business case themselves, right? Because while those are benefits you named are probably universally true for most people, you're, you're not giving them the answers up front, right? They're having to really think through what could be the benefits for me in this organization with the people I work with right now. It, exactly. I asked them, what do you think of the things that are on that list? Wow, <laughs> this is not something that should be relegated to the 
only if I have time bucket. So step one is helping them decide, I want to invest in getting better at this. Let's say we're also talking to a first time people manager. They've just been promoted. They're relatively new in a role of managing other people. Is this different? What's different? It's not different at all. And why is that? Let me put it this way. I've come to believe that a member of the C-suite or a new supervisor, that the habit of asking folks around you for feedback on a regular basis is one of the most important habits to develop as a professional, period. The reason I think this is the most important one is because if you can get feedback, it's gonna help you with everything else, mm. with your leadership skills, with your technical capabilities, it's gonna help you develop better relationships. The most effective leaders I've worked with over the years are people who do this hands down. Yeah. And what I'm talking about here is not just a cursory, how am I doing? And it's not, <laughs> how are my slides last week? But it's what are the one or two things that I'm doing that you appreciate the most? What are the things that I do that don't work for you that make it hard for you to do your job? You can also ask questions that are specific to something you might be thinking about or worry about. If you ask those kinds of questions regularly and you convince people that the risk of being honest with you is low, you're going to get some invaluable data coming your way. And what I found is that consistency is really important because you could ask a lot of great questions in one session and maybe you don't get a ton of feedback, but people are going to realize that you're not giving up, <laughs> that this is something you're going to continue to ask and they better think of something or be more observant or get a little bit more courageous in giving good feedback. And sometimes that takes some time. I agree with you hundred percent. So let's say you're working in, in an organization where there isn't much of a feedback culture. And as a leader, you decide you're going to start doing this and people are going to look at you like what the heck just happened to Joe, yeah. right? Did he just go to training? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Suddenly there's this new behavior that's showing up and many people might not know what to do with that new behavior. I do think there's a benefit to giving people some context. I'm interested in being a really effective leader. I know I have blind spots. I know I have some strengths. I'd like to understand your view on those. You can help me become more effective as a leader by giving me feedback. So no, I'm going to be coming to you from time to time and asking you to share your perspective about me with me. So don't be surprised. You're setting expectations with that person, the why, what's going to happen, what your expectations of them are, the quality of that feedback. I think that's really important to set that up to be successful. Now, the question that's going to be rumbling around in the minds of the folks, all right, so what's going to happen if I'm really honest? Yeah. Right. So if you're serious about collecting more feedback from the folks around you, there are a couple of things to really keep in mind. First is you have to be really clear what you want to know. The second is you've got to find a way to make it safe for people to be straight with you mm -hmm. because they're going to be worried about the impacts, the potential cost to them. If my boss asks me for feedback and I'm really honest about my disappointments, I could be concerned about job loss. That's right. The point is just asking for feedback is not enough. Just being clear about what you want to know is not enough. You also have to understand that people are going to see some potential risks and you've got to find a way to mitigate that. There are lots of ways to do that. You might have 10 different leaders who in their own unique and authentic way would find 10 different ways to make the folks around them more comfortable, but that creating safety is a really important part of the process here. What I've read and seen, safety doesn't get addressed as often or as explicitly. Could you talk a little more about safety? What are some examples of how you make someone feel safe? What would you say or do? The metaphor that I like to use is if you walk by a bar in cities around the world, you will see neon signs in the windows that tell you what kind of beer is sold in those places, Estella, Heineken. So the metaphor is that each of us 
has a sign over our head that gives other people information about our openness to their feedback. Some of us, our beer sign might say, feedback, welcome here. And so that's the message people around us get about my openness to their feedback. At the other end of the continuum, there's beware of dog. One of the most important things as leaders is to start to figure out how other people perceive your beer sign. So pick a couple people who know you pretty well, pick some people who you think will be really straight with you, explain to them the beer sign metaphor, and ask them to tell you what words they see on your beer sign. Okay. If what you hear is some form of open, you're good. Remember, your sign may read differently to different people. That's important to acknowledge. But if what you learn is that your brand around openness to feedback is closed, beware of dog, then that's where you've really got to make sure you're working extra hard to create safety and to change your brand around openness to feedback in the eyes of the folks around you. Because if, if people see risks to giving you feedback, no matter how many times you ask for feedback, they're probably not going to be straight with you. So this issue of safety and understanding your brand as it relates to openness to feedback is really important. You have to think about that on the front end. So the idea of the beer sign checks what people are currently thinking of how safe it is for me to give feedback? Well, that's exactly right. Let me just talk a little bit about what contributes to that perception. It might be the kinds of questions you're asking. Are they lame questions and not really effective ones? Or are you really being bold and vulnerable and opening yourself up? Okay. So do I ask questions? What kinds of questions are there? How I respond in the moment, right? I know I ask for feedback a lot. And sometimes what I hear just feels awful. I'm mortified. I'm embarrassed. Not all the time. I get good feedback occasionally. <laughs> but those times when I've asked for feedback, and it's clear that I've not been doing the right thing, quote unquote, through the eyes of that person. Even when confronted with hard to hear feedback, how do I respond in the moment? Am I appreciative? Am I expressing gratitude? Am I curious trying to unpack it and understand what that person's saying to me? Or do I get defensive and combative and argumentative and try to justify things? So do I ask for feedback? What kinds of questions do I ask? How do I respond in the moment? Does the person ever take the time after they've thought about the feedback to come back and close the loop with me and have a follow-up conversation? So all of these things are going to contribute to how people perceive your openness to feedback. The good thing is you can change your beer sign. There are things that you can do by asking them for feedback in a really thoughtful way, by asking them really good questions, by being genuinely curious and interested in trying to understand exactly where they're coming from. When I talk with my clients about this work is this whole idea of perception. Other people see the situation or my behavior differently than I might. And what I always tell my clients is you actually don't have to agree with their perception. You don't have to see it the same way they do. That really frees people, maybe going back to curiosity, being able yeah. to understand that someone may see a situation, including your behavior, differently. And that's okay. Where do I go from there in terms of making sure that my behavior reflects my true intentions or that you understand my behavior a bit better, or I just need to change my behavior? Yeah. Well, that, that's a great point. What I tell folks on this topic is there's no such thing as a wrong perception. Yes. Because oftentimes when we're talking about feedback, we get into this debate about who's right, which is synonymous for whose perception is right and whose perception is wrong. That person has a view. And rather than trying to defend against it, if you're smart, you'll work to try to figure out how that perception developed. Where did that come from? What did I do? I think the curiosity piece comes in here. That's right. One of the things that gets in the way of people wanting to ask for feedback is they feel they're going to be then obligated to do what the person 
wants them to do. I encourage people to think about feedback as data. It's information. As a leader, I want to go collect information from a bunch of people on their perspective about things. And then I'm going to take those data and sift through them. And then I have to decide what I'm going to do, whether or not I'm going to change my behavior, change processes, helping leaders think about the feedback they receive as data rather than a mandate or an obligation oftentimes frees them up, gets them to a place where they're more comfortable. I think that really helps people be more relaxed and more receptive to feedback, yeah. which of course yeah. makes people feel more safe. Yep. If I only understand their perception, that's a good step. But the real value is understanding the link that person's making between how they experience me as a leader and my behavior and what those impacts are. If you don't get to the behavior, what people go to is intention, right? Like you intended to do this thing or to have this attitude or intend to have these thoughts where actually, if you go to behavior, it's, oh, you saw me do this. I didn't understand that you interpreted that behavior as this, where yep. that was not my intention. Maybe it's yeah. a total miscommunication. That's right. What else do leaders need to know? about feedback that maybe we haven't covered that's important. Let me talk a little bit about creating safety. There are many ways to do this. One might be to tell a story. Stories can be very powerful. I'll give you an example of a story that I heard from a client. She taught for Teach for America. For the first six or seven weeks in the classroom, there was a veteran teacher sitting in the back of the classroom all day taking notes. And then when the kids went home, the veteran teacher would sit down and give feedback. She said it was painful. <laughs> <laughs> and this was not just one time, I assume. This was every day for a week. She said at first it was really uncomfortable to hear the criticism about what I had messed up that day. But after about a week, she said, I became appreciative of her perspective and her candor and her coaching. Hmm. She said, I became a very good teacher very quickly. If you have a story, you can tell people that your experience as a feedback receiver and the benefits you've gotten from that, and maybe even some of the challenges you've had along the way, that can be pretty powerful. Another way to create safety, just to tell people, I'm going to be asking you for feedback more than I have in the past. Okay. I could imagine that when I come to you asking you for feedback, you might be thinking, if I'm really honest with Peter, am I still going to have a job? Mm -hmm. If I'm really honest with Peter, might that trash our relationship? What I might say to you is, I get it. I understand those concerns. I'm not going to fire you. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let this trash our relationship. No matter what you say to me, I'm going to listen. You're getting inside someone else's head and thinking about what might be holding them back and let me address it right up front. Yeah, I want to step into their shoes Yeah, as the potential feedback provider and think a little bit about what their experience might be like when I come to ask them for feedback. I need to have that perspective. Which is a nice primer for what you're trying to do to begin with, which is hear things from their perspective. What are they thinking about? So in some ways, taking that approach with creating safety has two purposes there. Yep. The first time you go to ask for feedback and the first time they offer you criticism of some sort, that's the moment of truth. So just know that the first few times that people ask you for feedback, how you respond in the moment is really important. I think one of the most common mistakes that feedback requesters make okay. is they're only focusing on gaps. Instead right? of? Instead of understanding strengths. This has been a, a, a challenge for virtually every client I've worked with over 30 years is they tend to be much more comfortable asking for feedback about problems and gaps than they are about asking for feedback about their strengths. But it's just as important that you're understanding hmm. your strengths so that you can make sure you're getting full leverage from those things you're doing well already 
as it is to understand where there might be some gaps and things that you need to change. Make sure that you're going after both, not just one. I want to give an example between you and I that I always share with clients. When you and I started working together, we would have a conversation. We'd be talking about something and you would say to me, Winnie, you have a scrunchy face. <laughs> and what's so interesting about that is there was no judgment. And, and it wasn't like you have a frown, you have a weird look on your face. It was very neutral the way you described it. You have a scrunchy face. It was like, that's what I'm seeing. That's the behavior. And then the question after that was, what are you thinking? You weren't projecting, you look angry, what's going on, or you look confused. You weren't making assumptions about that scrunchy face. You just named it and asked what's going on. When I ask that question, what I'm experiencing is something that's changed. Yeah. And I don't want to make assumptions about what it is. I just see some change. And so for me, that's the time to ask. Yeah. And there was a couple of powerful things for me about that. One was that there wasn't any judgment. You were curious about what I was really thinking in the moment. And again, you weren't projecting on me what you were perceiving. I think that's a real skill <laughs> to, to say it without it being judgmental. But the other thing I learned about myself is that I made a scrunchy face, as you called it, for lots of different situations. <laughs> Sometimes I was not agreeing with what you were saying. Sometimes yeah. I didn't know what you were saying. Sometimes I literally was just thinking. So I yeah. realized that scrunchy face actually meant a lot of different things. Right. And so it was really helpful that you said to me, what are you thinking? Because it wasn't always the same emotion or the same thinking that I had with each scrunchy face. Yeah. So being able to name it, not be judgmental and invite people to have a conversation about it is super powerful. Because essentially what I was saying is this is what I'm experiencing or observing. Yes. Help me understand what's going on for you right now. Because you weren't labeling what you thought you saw, that would have been a whole derailment of the real conversation, right? Because then I would have had to think about, is that how I feel? Uh, no, it's not how I feel. And then I'd have to defend like why I don't feel that way. It, it, it took away a whole part of the conversation that wasn't necessary and could be derailing. And mm -hmm. instead we focused on what I was really thinking and what we were actually talking about. That's a good example. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's go back to that short list you were creating of what people need to know when they're thinking about how to ask for feedback. One is be, be clear about what you want to know, good. right? Second is create safety, understand your brand as it relates to openness to feedback, understand your beer sign, this whole thing, and, and figure out where you need to work extra hard to make people be straight with you. The third thing is when you ask for feedback and other people provide it for you, sometimes the quality of what they're giving you isn't so great. It'll be full of what I call labels. Someone might say you are supportive, you are respectful. Those are positive labels. On the other side, someone may say to you, you're not trustworthy, you are disrespectful. Those are generalizations. They're not behaviors. And if someone says to me, Peter, you are disrespectful, I may or may not have any idea what they're talking about. So one of the skills we need to develop as a feedback collector is I want to understand their perspective about my behavior and the impact of my behaviors. If what I get is generalizations, I need to be skilled at asking really good open-ended questions, learn more about what they're saying. So if you said to me, hey, Peter, I really feel like you're being disrespectful, I could argue with you about, no, I'm not. I could say, I think I know what Winnie means. Or I could come back to you and say, Winnie, I need your help here. When you say I'm disrespectful, I'm not sure what you're seeing. So help me out. What does that look like? When you say I'm being disrespectful, what is it that you see me doing? What is it that you experience? 
Now, once I get to that level of information where you're describing what you see me doing and then help me understand the impacts of those, that's rich. That's my short list. Be clear about what you want to know. Pay attention to safety, using good open-ended questions to make sure you're getting the good quality feedback you need to be able to act on. Lastly, say thank you. When people are willing to be honest with you and help you on your leadership journey, I think expressing gratitude is really key. One of the things I find interesting about feedback is one behavior for one person might be fine and that same behavior for another person might not be fine. And it goes back to perception, but I find that clients really get tripped up around that. It's fine for this person. Why is it not fine for this other person? And being okay that different people have different reactions or or different ways in which they're interpreting your behavior and that's okay. This is a really good point that you're making, and and I run into this a lot, where people will say they're not going to see feedback as legitimate or valid until they see a pattern. That's your view. I'm going to go ask three or four more people, and if everybody else agrees with you, then I'll pay attention to it. If it turns out that their perception is different, then I'm going to ignore yours. And so I tell people exactly what you've just said here. In some situations where you're thinking about making a change that would impact a lot of people, then looking for patterns and and getting feedback from a bunch of people is important. But in some situations, that's not the case at all. The only thing that matters is the impact of your behavior on one person. That's right. It doesn't matter if anybody else in the world agrees with that perception or not. In my business, I'll ask three people for feedback and I'll get three different answers. That gives me information to help manage my working relationship with each of those three people a little bit differently because their feedback has told me something about the way I work with them. And it ties back to the relationship piece. If you're really focused on the people I work with and those relationships really matter, how do I make those the best relationships they can be? Because they're going to perform better. I'm going to perform better. It'll be easier and perhaps more fun for us to work together. And that's a good enough reason to really pay attention to those potential nuances in each of those relationships. Yeah. If I think about our relationship and our work together, Mm -hmm. you and I are similar. And I think, and we've joked in the past about the fact that my style of managing works pretty well for you. Yeah. Right. That's not the case for everybody that's worked with me. That's right. And so my style is what it is. And for some people it works well. And for others, I need to make some adjustments. And have you found it to be worth it? Yeah. Because if I want to have a good, healthy, trusting, respectful, collaborative relationship, with folks that work with me, I can't manage everybody the same way. It requires variability. So that, what that means is I need to know you and understand how you like to be managed. I need to understand how my style works or doesn't. I'm going to have to adjust my approach to collaborating with and managing eight different people, potentially eight different ways. That's a really good point to highlight. That's your job as a leader to figure out those nuances. And it's hard for many leaders to get their heads around the fact that a big part of your job is to manage other people and manage those relationships. Yeah, people ask me how I define my role. And and I, I see my job is to create the conditions and the environment in which the people that work with me can do their best possible work. Peter, is there anything else that we've forgotten? Anything else that we should highlight? As a leader, if you already have a habit of asking the folks around you for feedback on a regular basis, keep doing that because the ROI on that is pretty high. If that's not something you're doing, don't take it from me. Do some experimenting on your own and see if you discover that the benefits of that habit are enough to continue. 
Peter, this was really fun. Thank you for being so generous and sharing this with so many people. Your perspectives about stories, about feedback, what you've learned over the years and the frameworks you have built that have really helped leaders probably all over the world over many years. And I know it's helped me and the clients that I touch. You're very welcome. This was fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winnie Da Silva. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Peter Axelson as we unpacked Asking for Feedback. While season one comes to a close, I'm really looking forward to launching season two in April, where we will have more stories of leaders overcoming change and adversity. This is also your opportunity to catch up on any episodes you missed while I get to work on season two. To learn more about my work in executive coaching, leadership development, and team effectiveness, check out my website at www.winniedasilva.com or you can email me at winnie at winifred.org. I'd also love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Reach out and tell me what was helpful about today's episode or tell me about any other suggestions you have for my show. I look forward to sharing more transformative leadership conversations in season two. Thank you.